Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If, uh, if you're new here or I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're, we're really excited that you are here with us this morning. We are week three in this new series called Starting Point, talking about the starting point of our faith. And uh, I don't know if you guys have a favorite movie, but uh, one of our favorite movies that we like to watch is this movie called The Santa Claus. Anyone watch The Santa Claus? I know it's a Christmas movie. I know you're like still trying to get into fall. You're waiting for your pumpkin spice latte. But uh, a few years ago, my family was gathered around the TV watching the Santa Claus. If you're not quite familiar with it, this kid's dad turns into Santa Claus. They go to the North Pole, the whole thing. And there's this elf named Bernard. And Bernard gives this giant snow globe to this little boy named Charlie so that anytime Charlie wants to, he can shake up the snow globe and see his dad, who happens to be Santa Claus. So my son, who is five now, he, is, he was three at the time, we're watching the movie. He sees this giant snow globe, and he remembers he also has a snow globe. So he begins asking about his snow globe. Now, for context, we had just moved, so there are literally boxes everywhere. It is a giant box maze in our house, and so... We talk him out of it, like he is just gung-ho, ready to dig through boxes, ready to find that snow globe. And we talk him out of it, we finish the movie, Saturday rolls around, he's still on it, like, I want the snow globe, where's my snow globe? Dad, where's my snow globe? And we're just like, okay, buddy, we'll find it. We, we don't find it on Saturday, we come to church, we come back home, Shana's getting lunch ready for the, for the kids and stuff, and uh, he's asking about the snow globe again. And so he and Andrew go up, they dig through more boxes, and lo and behold, they find the snow globe. Edmund is carrying the snow globe downstairs. He's so excited, puts the snow globe on top of the kitchen table, proceeds to climb up into his seat. As he's climbing up in his seat, bumps the table, bumps the snow globe, and the thing starts coming down and crash. Glass is everywhere. I walk into the kitchen and I see a sea of glass and water. And he's sitting there in his seat, barefoot, glass underneath his chair, glass underneath the table. It is everywhere. I look at the mess. I look at him. I said, I can't believe you did that. Why wouldn't you be more careful? You got yourself into this mess. You better figure a way out of it. I grab my lunch, and I leave the room, and I go eat somewhere else. Now, some of you think that's how God is with us. You believe that God looks at you. He, he looks at your life. He looks at the mess. He looks at the sea of glass in your life, and he goes, well, you got yourself into it. Get on out. Now, for a moment, you guys might have believed that I might have done that, but most of you don't believe that I did that at all which means you might think that I am more compassionate than God, which is not true at all. And so I wonder, is there something about God that we don't really know or we don't really understand? Because it's so much like what happened in the very beginning. God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in this garden, and he told them, you guys can do whatever you want, go wherever you want, but there's this one tree. Stay away from this one tree. And then they do the complete opposite, and they go after that one tree, eat that fruit, and they sin. 
and sin enters into the world and God knows the impact that, that sin is going to have. It's going to have this trickle-down effect. And there's this mess that Adam and Eve found themselves in that you and I find ourselves in and God had a decision to make. What do I do? Right there I was. I had a decision to make. Do I leave my three-year-old sitting barefoot with a sea of glass underneath him or do I wade into the mess? Well, I did what any parent would do or grandparent would do. When you have a mess, you have no idea what to do or how to clean up or where to start. You grab a shop back. You start sucking up all the glass and all of the water. And God saw that mess and he had a decision to make. Do I just walk away, go somewhere else, start something else? Do I hang up a big out of order sign over the entire universe and just say, forget it? Or do I wade into the mess? You see, that's exactly what God did. Instead of walking away, God waded into the mess. He knew the mess in Adam and Eve's life. He knew the mess in your life, in my life. And he chose not to walk away, but to invest and to wade into it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And the starting point of that is actually a guy named Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 12. While you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of the background. See, Abraham, his name actually begins, and it's Abram. He's a really interesting guy. He's a normal guy. But Abram, or Abraham, has some issues. Okay, let me just tell you one of Abraham's issues. One time when he was younger, he's, he's married and, uh, to his beautiful wife, Sarah, and they're on this journey. And as they're on this journey, Pharaoh sees Sarah, and he's like, Hey, good looking. And he likes her. Like he wants, wants a date. And Abraham knows that Pharaoh is interested in his wife. And he goes, hmm, I got a good idea. The bold, courageous man that he is says, you know what? If Pharaoh wants my wife and he knows that I'm married to her, he's going to kill me and take my wife anyways. So Abraham lies and says, it's my sister. Go ahead, take her. And you thought you had problems. This is the guy that, that God is starting over with. Normal guy, sort of. He's got his problems. He's got his issues. That's who we're starting with. Genesis chapter 12. Start reading in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. It's amazing that God says, Abram, whose name will eventually be changed to Abraham, just pack up your stuff and go. No address, no map, no GPS. Apple's iOS friend, who we shall not name because she'll start talking, has no, no help for Abraham and his family. Leave your whole sphere of influence and go somewhere else. 
I mean, that is just crazy. I mean, moving across the country when you have an address, when you know is a, is a huge task. But to pack up your entire family and just go and have no idea where you're going is incredible. And God comes to him and he says, okay, I've got some big news for you. I'm going to make you three promises. And so that's how God starts. God's solution started with three promises to Abraham. Here's the first promise. One, I will make you into a great nation. Now, the amazing thing is that one actually came true. If you look at Abraham and you look at his life, you see that came true. In fact, if you look at Islam, they would say they are connected to Abraham, and it's true. And so we have thousands of years later, there are, there are two great nations, right? There's Israel and there's the Arab nations, and they both are claiming that what is happening here, this promise is talking about them. So here's what it looks like, right? It started with Abraham. Abraham had two sons. One was Ishmael. One was Isaac. Ishmael is a really interesting story. You should find out about how Abraham had that son. But then Isaac has a son, and his son is named Jacob. Then out of Ishmael come the Arab nations. Out of Jacob come the 12 tribes of Israel. And both of these are saying, we came from Abraham, and they're not wrong. But when God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, both of these are saying, that's me, that's me. Now, I believe that it's, it's Israel. But it's interesting that this promise actually came true. God said to Abraham, I'm going to do something incredible. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I, I'll tell you why that's interesting. Because at this point of this promise, Abraham didn't have any kids. And years and years and years go by, and he just tries to make it happen on his own. And that's how Ishmael came about. And he's waiting and he's going, wait, God, how, how am I going to have this great nation like so many kids and I don't even have any kids yet? How's that going to happen? But he does it. But listen to promise number two. Number two, I will bless you and make you famous. Now I just got, I want to ask you a quick question, okay? If you don't know the answer to this or it's not the answer you were hoping to give, I'm not going to embarrass you, but... Before you came here on Sunday, how many of you had heard of the name Abraham from the Bible before? If you haven't, that's okay. Okay. A good amount of you, right? Now, let me show you a different name. How many of you have heard of, of King Isson? Anybody? Okay. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> Doesn't count. Eh. <laughs> Basically, nobody. Now, here's the thing. King Islam is, is, is an incredible, famous person in the time of Abraham. He is the ruler of Babylon, one of the most powerful rulers in the entire world. Everybody knew who this was when Abraham was alive. And nobody knew who Abraham was. Yet in the world, so many people 
know the name Abraham. To me, that's incredible that God took a somebody and said, hey, one day, buddy, you know, you're powerful. You're, you're this great ruler over Babylon. One day, you are going to be a nobody. And then he took Abraham. Keith could sing you a song about Abraham later. And he this nobody, and he said, I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to make you somebody. So that's promise number two. Take a look at promise number three. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, remember, there's, there's two big families that are saying, hey, that's us, right? The Muslims would say, yeah, look, look at all the good that has happened through us. Israel and the Jewish heritage, they would say, look at all the good that's happened through us. Followers of Christ would say, yeah, look at, look at all the good that's happened through us. Through Israel came Jacob, came the line of David, came Jesus. Look at all of the orphanages and the hospitals. And everybody would say, from all sorts of points of view, would say, look at all the amazing things that has happened. Look at all the families and people, peoples, plural, that have been helped and blessed. And God would say, yeah, right, that's the point. So God starts with these three promises, and he fulfills every single one of them. So 25 years pass. Abraham still has no children, still waiting on promise number one. 25 years go by. That's a long time. And they're waiting and waiting. And then God has a conversation. Take a look at Genesis chapter 15. Sometime later, verse 1, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've, since you've given me no children... Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Abram is there. He's struggling with his faith. He's wondering, okay, God, you said you were going to do this and this and this. And, and 25 years have gone by. I don't see anything. God, I'm struggling. I'm not sure if what you said is true. I haven't seen it play out in my life. Maybe you're struggling there today. That job that you had fell through. Maybe you got laid off. Maybe that promotion you were hoping for never showed up. Maybe the, the relationship that you, you've invested in over and over and over again, it just keeps getting harder and harder and worse and worse, and you're not really sure what to do, and you're asking God, you're pleading with God, you're begging him to do something. And years have gone by. That person you've been praying for who's far from God, you've been praying for them for decades. God, please do something. Here Abraham is, is wrestling with this very same issue. 
can I trust God? God brings him outside, out in this Middle Eastern sky, looks up, and there's millions of stars. He says, Abram, count the stars. He's like, one, two, I can't. <laughs> there's so many stars. It's impossible to count them. And that one moved. And he goes, that's the point. Abram. You can't count the stars. I'm going to give you so many kids, so many descendants, so many kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids. You won't even be able to count them. Trust me. I'll take care of you. This is the creator of the universe who spoke everything into existence. He says, Abram, I'm starting over with you. Trust me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do these things. Verse 6. Take a look at this. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous. Why? Because of his faith. Abram believed. He says, okay, God, I trust you. Okay, you're, you're right. You've provided for me. You've been faithful to me in so many ways I can't even count. You've taken care of me. You've taken care of my family. Even when I, when I pretended like my wife was my sister, I mean, I've totally blown it. You keep using me. You keep doing some great things. And that word counted is an accounting term. He credited to his account righteousness. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't work hard enough for it. He took that righteousness out of his bank account and put it in Abraham's bank account and says, now your standing with me is righteous. Because you believed. Because you have faith. Because you trust me. You banked all of your hope on me and me alone. And so his righteousness is credited to him Abraham believed in God, he trusted in him, put all of his faith in him, and, and God is taking care of him. Another way of saying this is trusting God resulted in a, a right relationship with God. That's how it took place. It wasn't where he was born, it wasn't his parents, it wasn't what he believed, it wasn't his behavior. And when you look at some of the world religions, the Jews would say, you know, we have a right standing with God because of Abraham, because of who we're related to. We have a right standing because we're of Abraham. And Islam would say, hey, it's, it's what, you, what you believe, but it's also what you do. And Allah will sort it out at the very end. And Christianity would say, well, no, it's, it's, it's belief. And, and as we talk to different people, and I'm sure you've encountered these people. Maybe you've had these questions. How do you get that right standing with God? Is it your upbringing? Is it behavior? Is it belief? Is it a mix and match of all three or two? How does it work out? Because this is what God is saying. Abraham, you believed. You trusted me. And that resulted in a right relationship with him. God is wading into this mess. And about 2,000 years later, after Abraham, 
the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to this church in Rome, and they're having the same exact question. Paul, how do we have a right standing with God? How do we have a right relationship with God? And I want you to listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him accept, acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift or not counted as a gift, but something they have earned, right? But people, you and I, we are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. That's amazing. That's how he worked with Abraham. He credited righteousness to his account. And when you ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you're counted. Righteousness is credited to your account. Not because of your works, not because of who you're related to, not because of where you're born, not because of what you know, but because of your faith in God. He's the one who forgives sin. He's the one that washes all that sin away. And he talks about, in verse 4, he says, when people work, their wages, their wages are not really counted as a gift. Really, that word is grace. It's not counted as grace because you worked for it. So when you go to work, and you do a job, you get a paycheck because you did something for it. You worked hard. You earned it. Whatever the job was, you put in effort. And then whoever was employing you said, here's what you earned. That's not grace. God operates on grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's the opposite of karma. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. God waded into the mess knowing you and I deserve to be separated from him for eternity. He waded into the mess. He died on the cross and he made forgiveness possible. And when I think of this word grace, I think of, I think of the, the Passover meal. And so if you have your communion cup, I'd love for you to grab that while we're talking about grace. I think this would be a great time to pause and take communion. Now, if you're here and, and you've never taken communion, that's okay. This is for followers of Jesus. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, Feel free to just watch, listen, observe. This doesn't save you. Remember, salvation comes through faith alone, through grace alone. And so the disciples are, are having this Passover meal. 
The Passover meal would have been it remembering back that when they left Egypt, God said, have this meal, be ready to leave, have unleavened bread, have some lamb, and have your shoes ready to go. God rescued them out of Egypt. Jesus is sitting around a table with his disciples, and they're celebrating that very meal. And they're remembering back on God's faithfulness. They're remembering back on God's grace and his mercy. And so if you've never accepted Jesus as the forgiver of your life and the leader of your life, then what we're do here in a moment, it won't save you. But here's what they do at that meal. In Matthew chapter 26, it says, while they're eating, Jesus took the bread. Now this bread simply symbolizes Jesus' body on the cross. That's it. He said he took the bread. He had given thanks. He broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then when he took the cup, which symbolizes the blood that was shed for your sins and mine, Verse 27, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So God waded into the mess, knowing the big problem. The big problem that we talked about last week is not that you and I are just these big mistakers, but the fact that we are sinners. And he chose to die for your sins and for my sins. He rose himself from the dead, making forgiveness possible. So I want to leave you with a final question. What if the starting point for your faith is trust? What if the starting point for a relationship with God is trust? That no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you simply need to come to your Heavenly Father and say, I trust you. I don't understand how everything works. I still have a lot of questions that haven't been answered. Life has been tough. It's been hard, filled with pain, filled with aches. But I trust you, choosing to trust you. What if we saw with what Abraham did, that God started over with him, that he could actually start over with you, and it begins with trust. So no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, I want you to consider these four questions or these four options. A, I'm interested in learning more about trusting Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you, you would say, you know what, Tim, I'm not sure I'm quite there yet, but I'm interested just kind of dipping my toes in the water. Or B, I've already trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. Maybe you're here today and that's you and that's awesome. We're, we're excited that you're here. Or C, I'm ready to trust Jesus today. Maybe that's you. And if that's you, don't leave today without talking to somebody, whether it's the person you came with, me, Jeff, 
Keith, we would love to talk with you. Or maybe D, I'm not interested in Jesus right now. That's okay. I understand that. I get that. We're only week three here in this series. But if you're here and you're thinking, Tim, letter C is where I'm at. Don't leave today or email me or message me on Facebook. Talk to somebody as you think through what your next step is because the starting point for our faith really is trust. Let me pray with you. God, you are the one who waded into our mess. You waded into our lives and showed up. Ask that you would help us to understand fully what does it mean to trust you, to walk by faith. Pray as we consider what that would look like for us, you would help us to trust you. No matter what's happened in our lives, no matter where we are spiritually, that we would take that next step. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, amen. Can you guys stand with us? Hold up.